Well, it's already been announced this morning, and it was in our bulletin, not only as an announcement, but uh, as uh, the subject of the article this week, but we have a singing workshop, Singing with the Spirit, coming up May 3rd through 5th, the first weekend in May. And that's going to work somewhat with song leaders, but more importantly than that, it's going to work with the church as a whole and to try to get us not only to to sing better in a certain sense, but this isn't a a technical sort of singing school. It's not going to be teaching you uh, time signatures and keys and what a fermata is and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be focusing on getting us to sing from the heart, understanding the purpose of what we do when we sing, uh, understanding that the focus needs to be on the words that we're singing as much as anything or more than anything. I want to encourage all of you to make your plans to be here, put that on your calendar, be here that Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night for the singing. Uh, Hopefully you'll be here Sunday anyway, but there are going to be sessions with it then. I encourage you to invite others to participate in this. And with all that in mind, the title of our lesson this morning, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus, uh, shares a title with what I think is one of the most beautiful songs in our books, number 506. And in keeping with focusing on what we do when we sing, I want us to do something a little bit unusual. I want us to sing this song together this morning as we begin our lesson, sort of by way of introduction, number 506. I don't have it on slides. We're going to do this the old-fashioned way. We're going analog, not digital. So take out your songbook. And let's sing this song together, and I want to encourage you to focus on the words as we do. 506, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I would like to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms about me, and he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. 
More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know just why he came to save me. Till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Ability to instruct, to teach us. And this song teaches us the very same message that we get from all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus knows us. Jesus cares about us. Jesus knows what's in our hearts. He knows the truth or the falsity of everything that we speak. He can look inside us. He knows, despite our facade, who and what we really are. And yet, he loves us anyway. With that in mind, I want us to look together this morning for a few moments at two events in the life of Jesus, recorded back-to-back in Mark's gospel account. Both of these clearly show that God knows us, God loves us, God indeed cares for us. The first one, part of the text, was read a few moments ago. It's recorded in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse number 40, and it tells about a leper who was healed. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Now we've all heard about leprosy, but I imagine that few, if any of us, probably none of us, have ever actually seen someone in the flesh with that condition. It's not common at all in the Western world in particular today, and I thought about actually including some pictures, but Well, I saw the pictures, and if you had, you wouldn't have included them either. If you're the type that wants to see that sort of gruesome stuff, you can look it up online. But the point is, this is a particularly grisly disease. Leprosy in its advanced stages is not a pretty sight. Nodules form all over the leper's skin. These become swollen. They're ulcerated. They run. They give off a a foul discharge. And eventually, these nodules will cover essentially the entirety of a person's body so that they look like a swollen, malformed mass of humanity. Nerve deterioration results in muscle weakness all over the body. There's an inability to flex feet. Uh, Often it results in the hands becoming like claws. The nerves deteriorate in the nose. Commonly, there are nosebleeds and uh, chronic stuffiness. And that nerve deterioration results in a dangerous loss of feeling in your extremities. Now, most of us have probably heard, maybe growing up, this sort of uh, 
common knowledge that leprosy can cause your fingers and your toes and hands and such to rot off. That doesn't actually happen. But what can happen is because of that loss of feeling, the leper can seriously injure themselves, burns, cuts, not even know it because they can't feel it. And of course, that can result in the loss of fingers and toes and other parts of the body. All of this resulted not only in ancient times, but in some parts of the world till really recent times in their isolation. Partly because people were afraid of contamination. They didn't want to get that disease. But partly, too, because it was just so unsightly. People didn't want to be reminded of that. So we know about the severity of that disease, and we know about the love and the compassion of Jesus. So I read this story, and I can understand why he healed this man. But you notice he doesn't merely heal him. What does it say that he does there in verse 41? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. Why did Jesus reach out and touch him? He could have simply said the word and he would have been healed instantly. He had that power. We see on other occasions in the gospel accounts when he heals people when he's not even present. He does it from a distance. So why reach out and touch this man? He didn't have to. He chose to do it. It was deliberate. And remember that the law said when you came in contact with a leper like that, you became unclean too. Jesus defiled himself according to the law by doing that, and yet he did it anyway. Why? I think it's because Jesus was giving this man a gift he would never forget. A healing that went beyond just healing those external physical symptoms that he had. You know, the law required that when leprosy was diagnosed, the leper goes outside the camp. He had to tear his clothes. He had to keep his head uncovered. And everywhere he went, if he walked about around people, he had to shout out, unclean, unclean, unclean so that no one would inadvertently come near him. You think about that for this man. Whenever he just walked down the street, everyone moved aside. He could never stand in a crowd. He could never come and be in an assembly like this today. You wouldn't see him uh, sitting on the middle row or anything like that. And at night, he had to go back outside the gate and live by himself for who knows how long, however long he'd had this disease, maybe years, he hadn't felt the human touch. He hadn't, been in a, he hadn't been able to embrace his wife or his children. And as he walked the streets, there was this chilling withdrawal, this pulling away from him. That's what he experienced all the time. There's something special in human touch that communicates care and concern, friendship, love even. So when Jesus reaches out and touches this man, he's giving him a special gift. He's healing the soul, the spirit, just as much as he'd healed his body. He's validating him. 
as a human being. He's recognizing his suffering. He's acknowledging his existence. And he's saying to him, you don't have to be an outcast anymore. This is complete and total healing. Now I want you to consider too, Jesus never put on a sideshow. I guess we can put it that way. He never engaged in a spectacle for its own sake. You know, sometimes people would come to him and try to get him to perform a a miracle, uh, basically like it was a magic trick. They wanted to see him do something special. And consistently, he refused to do that. His miracles always had a purpose. That's why they're often called signs. They're pointing to him. They're trying to teach something about him. Well, what about this wonder that he performs? Well, on the one hand, if we were to just stop reading where we did in verse number 42, we might think that this simply shows the compassion and the power of Jesus. And it does that. That's not wrong. But I think there's a little bit more going on here if we just read a bit further. Verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. A proof. To whom? Well, to the priest, and to everyone else, for that matter. This healing was not just a healing of this man, though it was that, but it was also intended to be a testimony to the priest and to others of who Jesus was. See, I want you to imagine this situation. If this man goes to the temple and he says to the priest, "Uh, hey, fellas, I had leprosy, but now I'm cleansed. And the guy who cleansed me told me to come here and to offer whatever sacrifice Moses told me, but I'm not really sure what that is. What do I need to do? You know, I'm not sure they would have known what he should do either. Now, there are sacrifices to be offered in accordance with cleansing from leprosy. Those are laid out in Leviticus chapter 14. But it's not like today. Today we can treat leprosy. You couldn't treat it in the ancient world. And so there had been no one healed of leprosy in 800 years since the day of the prophet Elisha. And that man who was healed wasn't a Jew. It was the Syrian general, Naaman, a Gentile. So he didn't have to go to the temple and offer sacrifices in accordance with the law of Moses. He just went on back home. So I expect they would have been scratching their heads. That's not a part of the law that was even relevant. So they would have no doubt had to take out their books, search through the scrolls. And if they did that, what they would see was that cleansing lepers was a sign that the Messiah was here. You look in Luke chapter 7. You remember this story? This is when John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and they're questioning and they say, hey, are you really the one that is to come or do we need to look for another? And Jesus says, Luke 7 verse 22, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus says, you want to know how I'm the Messiah? Look at these things I've done. One of those is cleansing lepers. This comes straight out of Isaiah. That's proof of who he was. So this miracle was to be a sign of that, a testimony to the priest. But it failed because this man 
couldn't keep his mouth shut long enough to actually go back and do it the way Jesus said. He went about and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You see, what this first miracle reveals, though, is that Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and Jesus meets our needs. He met the needs of this leper, both his physical needs and his mental, his spiritual, his emotional needs. He also tried, in a certain sense, to meet the needs of the priests, even though that failed due to disobedience. Then we move to the second miracle in Mark chapter 2. And this is a story that's probably familiar to most of us. This is one that's a favorite of mine, actually. But I want you to think about it now, this story that a lot of us know, in light of our theme that Jesus knows us and Jesus cares for us. Jesus went to Capernaum, and the word spread around that he was back in town, and you know he'd gone out to the desolate places because of the crowds. Well, now he's back, and so the crowds are pressing in upon him again, so much that they're filling up that whole house that he's in. They're blocking the doorway. No one else can get in to see him. They're listening to every word that he says, just hanging on it. Well, four men in town hear that he's there. And they have a friend who's paralyzed, lying on a pallet, and they pick him up and they try to take him to Jesus so that he can see him and he can heal him. And the first five verses of this chapter tell us about the faith of these men. And I think that it reveals three important characteristics of faith as as we see it revealed by these men. Uh, First of all, faith isn't discouraged by what's difficult. You ever trying to carry someone for a long distance? It's not easy. You know, Abby, a, a few years ago, we uh, got rear-ended in a car accident. She was sitting in the back seat, so she was in a lot of pain. And the doctor gave her some really powerful muscle relaxers. And we'd be at home, and she'd take the muscle relaxer, and if she took it before she went to bed, she would essentially just pass out on the couch. And she'd be, you know, completely worthless, not only asleep, but, you know, she's completely and totally dead weight. And I would pick her up then and carry her to bed. Now, Abby's obviously not heavy. She's tiny. But she's dead weight. We were going a short distance, but it still wasn't easy to pick her up like that. And, you know, it's probably improper to do a fireman carry for your wife. So I didn't want to pick her up and sling her over my shoulder trying to carry her like this, but there's no reaching around your neck and trying to help you out here. This is just, you know, completely dead weight here. It wasn't easy. And in fact, I remember one time I was trying to carry her there and I tripped over the coffee table and we both went flying into the floor. I had to, you know, throw myself around in midair so I wouldn't just completely fall on top of her and crush her. Well, I don't know how large this fellow was, But if he was even of average size, even just carrying one of these four corners, this wasn't easy because he's just dead weight. And they're having to go through these narrow, winding streets of Capernaum. That was not an easy thing. And then they get there finally, and I expect they thought they were just going to walk right in and see Jesus, but nope, the whole house is full. They can't even get close to the doorway. So what do they do? Do they give up? Nope. They say, we're just going to have to find another method of approach. They go around to the side of the house, and they decide to climb up on top of the roof. 
Now, you think it was difficult to carry this guy through the streets. Now, imagine trying to carry him up the stairs or more likely a ladder there on the side of the house. Definitely not easy. But they carry him up there on top of the roof, finally struggling up all the way. And now, what do they do? It's not as if there's roof access up there. There's no door. There's no skylight to let him down through. They call off the whole idea and say, well, it's obviously not God's will for us to get this man to see Jesus. No. They do whatever's necessary to get him there. So they, I don't know, take out their chainsaws or whatever, and they start cutting a hole in the roof to lower him down through it. Faith isn't discouraged by what's difficult. It meets those obstacles, and it does whatever's necessary to overcome those obstacles. It tackles it, and it may meet another barrier, but it'll just keep going and going and going. It's not going to be stopped. The important thing was for them to get to Jesus. They weren't going to be thwarted in that. Second thing we see about faith here. Faith is willing to do the unusual, the unconventional, to overcome a challenge. Now, the usual way to go through a house, I I assume this is the case for most of us, but the usual way is through the door. It's not ever through the roof, unless you're Santa Claus maybe, but even then you've got a chimney. Going through the roof is unconventional, but that's the only way to get to Jesus. And so as unconventional as it was, they did it. You know, sometimes as individuals or as churches, we'll get stuck in a rut. We'll say, well, I don't know about that. We've never done it that way before, or we've always done it this way, or we tried to do that once and it didn't work. Faith won't be stopped by that. And we won't succeed in our God-given mission unless we're willing to step out and try something new, something a little bit unconventional every once in a while. And the example of these men teaches us that no matter the obstacle, faith will always continue trying, even if that approach is odd. Third thing that we learned here is that faith will pay the price. When I read this story... (laughs) I can't help but think about the homeowner (laughs) probably sitting there in that house as he starts to feel the dust and the debris come down on his shoulders and sees patches of sunlight peeking through there and this hole gets wider and wider in his roof and he's probably sitting there wondering if he should have read the fine print in his homeowner's policy if this is going to be covered, (laughs) probably wondering who in the world is going to pay for all this. You know what? I don't have any doubt that those four guys on the roof were willing to pay. They were willing to pay whatever the price was, maybe even put forth the labor to repair that roof. It costs something to repair roofs. But faith is never discouraged by whatever the cost is. Faith knows that even if there is a cost, it's worth it to pay it. So you put these three things together. Faith is willing to tackle that's that which is difficult by whatever means necessary, no matter the cost. That's what we see with the example of the faith of these four men. And so what happened when their friend is let down here in the presence of Jesus? Well, Jesus looked at him, and as we said, instantly, he knew his need, just as he knew the needs of all those round about him there. And so he says right away, son, Your sins are forgiven. 
Now, if he would have said just about anything else, it wouldn't have caused any problem. But, of course, this causes a strong reaction, which he knew when he said it. It shocked the religious leaders. In verse 6, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, remember, at this point, this man's still paralyzed. He's lying there flat on his back. And Jesus, knowing what the scribes are thinking, because he knows their hearts, he says to them, perceiving in his spirit that they just question within themselves, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. God knows our needs. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our minds. He knows what's in our spirits. And because of his love for us, he's reaching out to us to meet our needs. In particular, he's offering himself to us as Lord, as Savior. So if you're here this morning and you've never come to him with that greatest need, that need of salvation, I want to urge you to do it today. To put your faith in that Jesus Christ the one who cleansed lepers, the one who healed paralytics, the one who died for you. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism. Reenact his death and his burial and his resurrection there and rise up to walk in newness of life. Maybe you're here this morning, you already are a Christian, but maybe you're struggling in your faith. Maybe you've become discouraged. Maybe you've been stuck in a rut. Maybe you've been unwilling to pay the price. You need to make changes this morning. Whatever your need may be, I want to remind you, no one cares for you like Jesus. It's his invitation while we stand and while we sing.